Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute that needs resolution, you know that I recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Now, Barack, you not only handle litigation, but also serve as an arbitrator. Is that correct? It is, Dennis. Instead of going to court, two sides can hire an arbitrator to resolve the dispute. It's usually cheaper and a lot quicker. And we offer that service for a lot less than others. So what prompted you to start as an arbitrator? First, I discovered I was good at evaluating evidence and applying the law. People started asking us to handle more arbitrations. Second, I see an urgent need. The recent state budget crisis has shut down courtrooms. Cases that took at most a year will now take three to five years. Arbitration won't have that problem. Justice you shall seek. My friends, you know I trust Barack Lurie with my business and other legalities, and to make sure you get a fair resolution in your matter, call him to serve as your arbitrator at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Pursuing justice, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Park, 866-575-8111. So I'm, I'm focusing on what happened in Texas. I believe it was just yesterday, Sunday, uh, on the 3rd of May. And here comes a situation where some bad, you know what, mother effers um, come to Texas and they decide that they want to shoot him up some people that, uh, that don't speak well of Muhammad, the, uh, the prophet of Islam. Okay. And they're going to show what's what. They're going to do like what happened in Paris at the Charlie Hebdo um, offices, right? That's the plan. And instead, what happens is it doesn't go very well for them. Why? Because in Texas, they have guns, right? And they turn it on these two bastards, and they kill them. Boom. A lot of commotion, as there should be, I suppose. And uh, no victims of innocent folk at all. Thanks to, what's that word I'm looking for? Guns. That's right. An attitude toward guns that, that is exactly what we want. Guns are there to stop bad people. Two bad guys came in. The police and other security agents there used those guns and killed those bad guys. End of story. Let the credits roll. I'd like to thank my mother and my father. <laughs> thank you very much. And, and, the, and God. Well, I thank and God. God, that's right. Yeah. And the Academy Award goes to, and so on. Okay. <clears throat> now, this could have been a much more long, drawn-out affair and such. But I, I want to talk. I, I'm more interested, for the time being, and we'll talk about other things, too. I'm more interested in understanding the, um, the post-mortem meeting among the ISIS bastards uh, when they discuss this, about what happened. Right? And, and they talk about to each other about, about all the failures that just happened just now. Don't take him to Texas, I said. They have a lot of guns in Texas, I said. <laughs> but no, no one listened to me. <laughs> and now we've got two guys down, and we look bad in the process. Well, Muhammad, please, I understand, but no, no, don't Muhammad me. <laughs> I told you, don't go to Texas, of all the places in America. Do not do that. Maine's nice, Massachusetts, anywhere in California. 
Pamela Geller lives in New York. Why didn't you do that to her there? Yes, it was so, it was so easy. You could have done all those things. But <laughs> they're just like slapping their foreheads. What were we thinking? Texas, of all places. Anyway, I, may they rot in hell. May they rot in hell. And that's all I have to say about that. I don't want to give them any more credence than uh, what they deserve. And we need a little bit more Texas all over the United States for the bad guys. And we need Texas out there in the Middle East. That's the, that's the attitude we need. And I'm not talking about going willy-nilly and just kind of shooting up anybody who looks, uh, who looks different than us. No, of course not. But I want the attitude to be bad guys deserve a little killing. That's what, that's what I think. Okay, that's, that's the attitude. Now, if you capture somebody as a prisoner of war, that's a different story. But then use all the pressure necessary to, to, uh, to get them, to get information, to extract information from them. That's, that's the principle that we need to employ. And if you don't do that, well, they're going to have a lot more problems in the future. Is that simple enough? I think so. Now, yesterday on my Sunday show, I talked quite a bit about um, what's going on in the negotiations with Iran. And in those negotiations, we, we are now learning that our friend uh, Mr. Ayatollah Khamenei has decided that he's not going to honor any treaty. And he's made it very clear, listen, we're not going to allow any inspections on the spot whatsoever. So you're not going to have the snap inspections. That's your word, President Obama, not mine. And we're not going to have snap inspections. You can write to us and ask us pretty please if you suspect something is untoward. But, uh, and we'll get to it eventually. You know, when, when you go through this process with the United Nations and they in turn turn to us and ask us pretty please, can we see your facilities? Oh, and by the way, some of the facilities are just off limits altogether. Okay? And then uh, finally... Once we do ink a deal, we expect all sanctions to be lifted, period. That, those, are the, those are our terms. And we know, Mr. Obama, that you want this deal so badly that uh, you'll give in to whatever we ask. That's the way you are, aren't you, Mr. Obama? So, you know, I, I'd, I'd normally say, you know, as you've heard me say many times, when, when has a negotiation with a dictatorship ever worked, right? And we've always said zero. Never, ever has worked. But I got to tell you, this is a little bit different because to me, at least, maybe there are other examples. To me, this is the first time the dictator during the negotiations has said, I'm not going to follow this. I mean, he has, he has the integrity to say, I'm not going to honor this, right? He's more honest than Obama. Right, exactly. That's what's freaking... It, it's weird. So it's, it's rare. It's, it's one thing. Usually it's, it's, you know, crocodile tears or whatever, right? It's a big bluff. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're good to go. We're not going to attack uh, Czechoslovakia. We're not going to... Right? No, no big deal. We'll sign this deal. And then they, then they go ahead and do the very thing that they promised they wouldn't do. But Hitler was smart enough, at the very least, as evil as he was, to not say that, that he will do the very thing that the treaty that he signed prohibits him from doing. <laughs> the Ayatollah is saying, I'll sign whatever you want, but I'm not, I ain't going to honor it at all. Right? So this is, this is new. Well, also, I don't think in the history of any Western world or democracy, there's ever been a leader 
like Obama in the various levels of either incompetence or deliberate destruction of his own society, that a leader uh, across the table from him in reading the chess moves of Obama was able to get away with this kind of talk. Yeah. He's only doing the chess moves that Obama is letting him do. Yeah, that's true. But there's, it's a pretty broad brush of chess moves yeah. that are at his disposal. There was a scene in a movie that I saw. There, there are many movies like what I'm about to describe, but for some reason this movie comes to mind. It was um, The River Wild, I think it was. And Kevin Bacon played the lead bad guy role. And he basically, they, they basically take over a rafting company and they kidnap these people so that they could use their expertise to get down a river and, and, and thereby escape the federales that are chasing them. Okay, that's the basic premise of the movie. And they, uh, they, they encounter the husband, who's, you know, he's, he's not a troublemaker of any kind. He hasn't really had any conflict in life. Uh, in other words, Obama. <laughs> okay? And you see this one kind of really humiliating scene where the Kevin Bacon character, you know, is dealing with this guy, and the guy says, don't you touch anybody in my, in my team. And Kevin Bacon character just gives him a little slap on the face. What are you going to do? And then he does it again and again and again. And the guy, of course, doesn't have the, 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 the backbone to fight back. And it's humiliating. It's a painful scene. And I think that is exactly the kind of scene we're seeing being played out right now. The Ayatollah is basically slapping Obama in a humiliating way. Well, he's slapping America. Obama, if my theory holds, doesn't feel any humiliation. If your theory holds, he does. Right. But he's definitely slapping America. What are you going to do about it, America? Go to war? Put boots on the ground? Right. Get the media angry at you? But here's, but this, is, this is what I think he's actually doing. He, he enjoys this. Let's see how we can humiliate America, whatever you want. Obama, America. We'll use the word America for the time being. Um, just slapping time and time again to say, you know, every time that Obama's saying, okay, I agree, then Obama, then uh, the Ayatollah will demand something more, something more, something more. It, it will not end until the time that Obama says, you know what, F you. This, is, this ain't worth it. And who knows where that line is? Who knows where that time will come? But I wouldn't be surprised if the Ayatollah said at some point and, 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 and said it publicly, uh, you know what? I know I said before that uh, we want the sanctions lifted. We don't want the inspections. And if you do have inspections, it's got to be at our, you know, at our discretion and our decision and whenever we want it to be. But you know what? I've thought about it since. We want you to pay us money, a lot of money. You know they're already doing that? I know. I know. I'm oh, getting sorry. there. I'm getting there. <laughs> we want a lot of money. So not just the sanctions to be lifted, but you also got to give us a lot of money. And by the way, we also want you to stop giving money to, let's say, I don't know, Israel or uh, anybody else that fights Saudi us. Saudi Arabia, Egypt. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we want you to stop that. And we also want you to recognize our hegemony in, uh, throughout the Middle East, uh, particularly in these particular areas. And uh, that's what we'd like. And we think you'd give it to us. How about that? America. That's what's going to happen. Now, I, I said that's what's going to happen, but that, but that, will, that is what will happen if we, if we don't say no at some point. That, that will happen. And there, uh, I've 
believe for some time that very soon they will take another batch of American hostages oh. and say, just like to Jimmy Carr, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Which only makes my hope that Ted Cruz takes office January 20th, 2017, as the hostages are released, because the guy will know, party's over. Yeah. Well, that would be history repeating itself, sadly. I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I, uh, whether they will take the hostages, I don't know. I do know that until that moment where we say no, totally unacceptable, the Iranians will continue with their push for the next item that they would like. Why not? I, how can you blame them? I mean, think of it only from a chess point of view, not from a good guy, bad guy thing, just from a position point of view. Why wouldn't you, as the Ayatollah, again, that, assuming that your, your desire is solely, solely power and to increase your power, why wouldn't you just keep on testing the waters until he said no and walks away? So I think that's what's going to happen. Anyway, uh, th there is much more uh, on the news to talk about, and particularly Hillary Clinton. I, I do want to talk about that. It seems to me that the, the, the foundation problems are still happening. Uh, have you heard the latest about this? Are you talking about Bill Clinton's statement? Yes. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Talk about, is this guy on drugs? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I like? Did, did you not? Yeah, I want to say to him, did you not notice what's happened in the news the last three weeks? Yeah. Because you might want to say something different. Well, you know? <laughs> for the benefit of our viewers, since so, so you actually remember quotes better than I do, please tell me what he specifically said. Um, uh, just uh, hem and haw for a minute while I bring it up because it's so rich. <laughs> it's so, uh, I don't like this word, but I'll use it. It's so delish right. that I, I want to. You want to make sure that you say yeah. it right. Well, okay, so let, let me, uh, while you're looking that up, I'll tell you why I'm bringing up these. There is a theme to the three things that we just talked about. One is, uh, of course, the Iranian uh, negotiation situation. Second is what happened in Texas recently. And now, the Bill Clinton statement. And I'll, I'll show you how they're all connected. But go ahead. Monday on Bloomberg's, with all due respect, while discussing President Clinton saying he has to pay his bills in an answer to why he took $50 million, even liberal commentators blew a fuse on this. Um, Monday on NBC's Today in Africa, Bill Clinton defended his wife, Hillary Clinton, on the grounds of the controversy involving the Clinton Foundation accepting foreign donations while she was Secretary of State, leaving the possibility open for potential quid pro quos. When asked about getting paid 500000 or more for giving speeches while his wife was Secretary of State, Clinton said he has to pay the bills. Right. Well, that's... Okay. Yeah. He said, continued, I work hard on this. I spend a couple of hours every day just doing the research. People like to hear me speak, and I have turned down a lot of them. If I think there's something wrong with it, I don't take it. I do disclose who gave him to me so people can make up their own mind. In other words, it may, it makes nothing me, to see here. Yeah. Nothing. Well, I, I, you know, the bummer of it all is uh, all those uh, former traders of old uh, the Falcon and the Snowman, right? And the Rosenbergs, of course. They, they, they're now, you know, like slapping their forehead in their graves, of course, saying, I should have said it. I've got to pay my bills. I've got to pay my <laughs> bills. Right. I mean, look, 
why didn't I think of that, right? It's, it's a classic Steve Martin example, you know, I forgot, you know, when, when saying why he didn't pay the taxes, I forgot. Yeah, Falcon Soman. When I left the CIA, I was dead broke. Yeah. When the Rosenbergs left wherever they left, we were dead broke. They needed the money. <laughs> needed the oh, money. why didn't you just say so in the first place? Right, that, that's all you need to do. All right. So this... But what's really telling is Halpern and Heilman, the two defenders of all things Democrat all the time politically, on every news show out there, they're attacking Bill Clinton. Yeah, that's, that's unheard of. Yeah, it's, it's uh, look, uh, my, my brother and many other of my liberal friends may be absolutely right that they are actually going to try to bring Hillary Clinton down because I think some, if, if they're clever enough, they understand that Hillary Clinton cannot win. This election. Now we may eat our words. I understand that. I, but right now in this chess game, if I were to look at this chess game, really in a very neutral way, without all the politics associated with it, just simply to look at the chessboard, I would I would not want to be on Hillary's side of the chessboard. It just it's not going to be a, it's not a good game. It's very likely that she will be checkmated, and the other side will have it not only. A, a good chance, but a very strong chance of winning against her. That's that's the way I see it right now. Now something may happen. Of course, there are, there are circumstances all the time. Um, Hillary may uh, find a way of somehow doing something magnificent that will broker a deal somehow with Iran, for example, or something else. Even though she's no longer Secretary of State, I understand that. But she may do something brilliant, or more likely, the Republican nominee um, or her. Uh, friends on the left who may be uh, uh, seeking a primary against her may do such an incredible faux pas that she will then win just simply by default. But that's not a good strategy, right? Hoping that your your opponent will make a big mistake. And it would have to be a huge mistake. Especially point. if in standard Democrat playbooks, in standard Democrat years, the media is all in for every Democrat. Yeah. Because they want to ensure the Republican has a uphill climb just at the beginning of the game that continues throughout. For the media and these left-wing you know, media, essentially luminaries, to attack her is a very, very, very bad long-term so- sign for her. Yeah, because well, because because the Clinton Foundation thing is going to keep on giving. That's the problem. And I even said I even said that on, my, on the on the Sunday show yesterday. I said, look, I was going to talk about the Clinton Foundation scandal, but don't worry, something will come up by next Sunday regarding this exact same scandal. So I'll cover it then anyway. Right. <laughs> it's going to happen. But the the point is that Hillary Clinton uh, is 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 really a falling star. Um, all that shine, every, all the excitement about her, it's just not exciting anymore. She's not bright and shiny as she once was. And I, I, I'm not concerned for her. I, I, I hope she goes down because I think she's a terrible candidate. I think she's a bad person. Um, but, you see, whereas Bill Clinton was crafty, sneaky, and did tawdry things, he had the ability to convince you that whatever he was doing was wonderful and that he was a great man. And it didn't matter how, char- how whatever he did because he was just so gosh darn charming to, to women and to men, right? And you just felt as a guy, well, he's a guy's guy, you know, let him do his thing, whatever, you know, that sort of thing. And it reminds me of a, another story I'll share with you in a moment. But, but Hillary Clinton, by contrast, she, uh, she has none of that. She's, she's all... I mean, how, how did it? 
how did uh, a partner of mine in, in the old firm used to say it? He said, uh, you know, he's as mean as Stalin, um, but without the charm, right? He's as vicious as, as Stalin, but without the charm, right? Hillary Clinton has all the evil of Bill Clinton, all the dastard, dastardly behavior, all the manipulations, all the conniving, but without any of the charm, right? And you could literally say that about her. Now, this reminds me, I was going to tell you that this is a story. There was, there was once a, a case I had, I don't know how many years ago now, and it's a telling story. We, we, it was a complex case. It involved a lot of real estate disclosure issues. Um, my client uh, was the, the buyer of the place, and there was all sorts of issues. And we had a bunch of witnesses, adverse witnesses, that we were going to just destroy. And there was this one guy who was indeed uh, the, the ex-husband of the witness. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And we knew that he was going to say certain things. And we had boxed him in, and he was going to, and not only that, but we knew he was an ex-felon, precisely for fraudulent behavior. So when you, when you present that, that doesn't look good for you, right? So sure enough, we got the playbook's all there. And I line it all up, and then we, I ask him some questions, and then finally I say to him, and isn't it true, Mr. Smith, we'll call him Mr. Smith, that... Uh, you're an ex-felon. You were actually convicted of laundering money and other fraudulent behavior regarding monetary schemes. Isn't that true, Mr. Smith? And you know what he does? He turns to the jury, and with his wry smile, he just says, well, I guess I'm just a bad seed, huh? <laughs> and he, he just, they all kind of laughed, and they thought it was the sweetest thing. <laughs> and I just said, oh, my God, I've lost this, this witness at least. Oh, my God. The whole thing turned on me. I did not expect that. Now, I was able to pull out other things and such, but what I had expected to be such a disaster for them ended up flipping on me. He charmed them. He was able to do it. This guy was a, a crook. He was Charlie Sheen at the end of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, okay. You remember? <laughs> the no, really I don't. But boy. we won't go there. We won't go there. The, the point is, he's he was just he's a really bad guy, and and they didn't care. He was just so gosh darn charming. And I learned something from that. Thankfully, again, we were able to to, to nip it in the bud with other ways. But but that jury, they loved him, and we had to fight against it. So here's where something is a great weapon that I thought that we were going to to win on. That was going to be one of our, in our plus column for us, ended up being a negative for us. So never discount the, the, the factor of charm. Charm wipes away everything. You could be a convicted felon three times over, but if you're reasonably good looking, sweet, and you got a twinkle in your eye, and you, you call her a, a beautiful young lady, and, and uh, how can he treat you that way? I'd never treat you that way. I. I you know, I've done bad things in my time, but I can tell you right now, I know bad and good, and you're good, and I want to be with you, right? That's, that's, the, that's so easy to do, and people fall for it all the time, and you need to recognize that. Now, the one thing we can be certain of is that, yes, while Bill Clinton may step in from time to time and try to exercise his charm, um, 
you know, it has to be Hillary Clinton who's going to be the main face of the campaign. And she will never be charming. You cannot make her charming no matter what you do about her. She can do a twang all she wants, but she... You know, she and, can and, drop a G. She can add a G. She can add some syllables. She can... <laughs> regionalize any dialect she wants to try she's to regionalize. She's very good at that. I'll, I'll no, give her that. No, she's not. Her accent <laughs> work blows. I'm trying to give her something here. Uh, but, you know, look, we both agree. She's just not a charming person. She's She comes off as very shrill. And I'm not even saying this. It's not because she's a woman. A lot of people will, will write in guaranteed saying, oh, you, you're just anti-woman. No. no they're in the world. It's completely yeah, uncharming. Of, of course. Um, there, there are many examples I can give you and, uh, of, of men who are uncharming and shrill, for, for that matter. And, and there are many women who have just a, a grace and a, a presence that she just doesn't have. Uh, plain and simple. I think that Ann Coulter, for example, has a fantastic presence about her. She's very powerful. She she has a presence. You don't have to like her, but she has presence. When she walks into a room, watch out. Okay? She she dares to be recognized, and she she is recognized. Hillary Clinton, by contrast, she has to demand that people listen to her, um, and it it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. People boo her. Uh, they don't get her. They they call her out on her lies. All the all the stuff that Hillary, Bill Clinton can get away with, she, she's just left with it. It's it's just remarkable. It's like the it's like the two brothers where, you know, one brother is always uh, faulted for whatever goes wrong, and the other brother always gets away with it. That's Hillary and Bill. That's the way it works. Billary, as it were. Um, and Bill's Bill's gonna pull out of this too, and so and and so he should. Bill Clinton because. You know, look, why would he want Hillary Clinton to be president? Also, they got a good gig. Why would he wreck this cash cow he's built by having her run for an office she's going to lose? Yeah, exactly right. They're making they're making $50 million checks, and they're only giving six bucks on, or, or six cents on the dollar to the charities yeah. in need. The why, rest is travel and accommodation costs. Why not them. go around the country? Instead of being in the limelight all the time, why not be the great statesman? Instead of having the microscope constantly on you, right? Why would you want that liability, right? I mean, had she, never, had she decided never to run for, for president in the first place? Uh, a, a long time ago, not just the recent announcement, because we all knew that she was going to run. Had she just said, look, I'm out of it. I'm not interested in it. Um, I'm, I'm interested in speaking tours and such to talk about uh, policy in a, in a big scale sort of yeah, way. Women's rights or whatever. Yeah, the, the, the highfalutin stuff. Um, then she could be the graceful, dignitary couple, along with Bill, and, uh, and, and then people could always hark back to the great, the good old days of the 90s, you know, where they really took charge of things and take credit for things, even though they shouldn't, but nevertheless, that they, can, they can take credit. Instead, you're, it, it's like, I don't know, it's like Winston Churchill running for, for prime minister, you know, uh, in the, you know, in the 50s and late 50s and the early 60s. You know, you had your heyday, you know, you're a great war leader and now we don't want you anymore. It's just like, why would you do that? Why, why did, just go into retirement, uh, write a letter every once in a while to the Wall Street Journal to show your brilliance again, and then go back and retract. Enjoy your, your life in retirement. To, to bring both subjects of this episode together, or this segment. No, no, I want to bring that up. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Okay, well, okay. I was going to, maybe we're thinking the same maybe thing. So I, you say it's, maybe it's maybe not. There are three things that we talked about, right? One is the Texas shooting 
the Iranian negotiations and, of course, uh, Hillary Clinton now. They all have something in common, which is a failure to recognize reality, okay, in one way or the other. There's a failure to recognize reality in the Texas shootings in the sense of, look, here's what works when you want to deal with bad guys. Guns work, okay, when they're used for their intended purpose, which is to kill bad guys, to stop bad guys, or to at least um, scare bad guys from doing bad things, that's good. But that's, a, that's reality, and the far left just can't accept that reality. Yeah, they want to live in their fantasy that you'll have no murders ever if there are no guns ever. Right. Likewise, with the Iranian negotiations, uh, the, the party that's not accepting reality is, of course, Obama himself. Right? He, he really thinks, well, this is giving him the benefit of the doubt here. Um, he really thinks that, that entering into negotiation with Iran will we'll actually achieve peace in our time, <laughs> right? Yeah, Ari likes that a lot. He really thinks that. And, it's, it, and of course, we know better. I mean, we, it's just the, the inability to see simple reality is so shocking. It's, it's a child could see this. And then finally, with, with Hillary Clinton, uh, again, a, a failure to understand reality, to see that these emails that she's destroyed will not come up time and time again and haunt her throughout the entire campaign, if not later. That, that it might actually make things worse for her over time. And then these Clinton Foundation things uh, and, and everything else with the quid pro quos that Bill Clinton is doing, you know, because they need to pay their bills after all. The, the lack of, the inability to see reality is right there. That's what I see as common. What do you think it? What, what did you see? There, there are other things in common, I'm well, sure. Well, I was, my level of um, commonality was much more rudimentary and sort of superficial, which is just imagine the good the Clintons would have done had they left the White House in 2000 when their term was up. Yeah. And if, forgetting whether it was the error of their ways or making up for things or whatever, Hillary Clinton became like her, you know, hero Eleanor Roosevelt, became an advocate for women's rights in the Middle East. And that's all she did. That's all she spoke about. That's all she raised money for. Maybe in the, uh, you know, Southeast Asia women's rights where they have, you know, uh, uh, you know, sex slave trafficking, that kind of stuff too. But specifically, women's rights in the Muslim and Arab worlds would have been such a wonderful use for her time. Yeah. And her, her shortcomings as a personality and a speaker would have been completely overshadowed by the value of her work. All right, it's such an excellent point. And not only that, but we, we conservatives would embrace that as well. Of course. Right? And it would be such a bipartisan effort, and we can all rally behind that to say, you know what, Hillary Clinton, I, we didn't really like you during uh, the 90s and such, and we, we, you know, we were concerned about you as a, as a candidate, but you know what? Fair is fair, and you're doing God's work here. Right, and imagine if the Clinton Foundation raised money entirely for that yeah. cause. Yeah, at least uh, Jimmy Carter, as much as I despise that man, at least he he did Habitat for Humanity. I mean, how could you argue that that's a bad thing, right? I mean, he then he did stupid comments later on with with regard to Israel and such. Yeah, but because forget he what he says. What he did, the, the Habitat for Humanity during the Reagan years and during the 90s was wonderful stuff. Yeah. And, and this is a man, we both agree, has done terrible things in his post-presidency, too. Most glaringly, ironically, the North Korean nuclear deal. Yes, of okay, course. Okay, so it, by no means are, is anyone perfect here. But, again... 
for someone of his ideological stripes, he made the best lemonade out of the lemons that he was dealt with. Yeah. Hillary Clinton completely had that opportunity, and the Clintons would have been flush with uh, donor cash had they gone in that direction. The, but they never cared about it, really. The problem with all your thinking here, and which is accurate, it's a, it's a little bit like that old expression, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a car, right? Yes. Uh, and sometimes, I remember when I was working for um, general counsel for Don Sterling, I, I remember thinking to myself, man, this, this man has such enormous wealth. And all of us in the office would often just talk about, wow, gosh, you know, why don't you just retire now? Why do you have to keep on going? I mean, at the time he was 70, and now he's 80 plus, I think. Uh, you know, just relax. Enjoy the benefits of all your, your, your wealth and acumen. And, but, but to say that is assuming a personality that he doesn't have. Yes. And the, and the reason why he acquired the wealth he did is because he just kept on going because that's what he's made of, for better or for worse. I'm not, I'm not making a judgment call on this. I'm simply saying this is what he does. He must make money. That's his machine. I'm a scorpion, stupid. I do this. That's right. That's his, it's his nature. And I, I'm not equating him to a scorpion. I just he's, he, he is who he is. Okay? And we all are who we are. And the same thing is true, however, and this is where, uh, with love I say this, that there's a flaw in your argument, and it's that they don't, the Clintons I'm talking about, they don't see the reality. They are driven by attention. They must have the limelight. What, what makes so much sense to you and me for them as their life coach, if you want, right? If we, were to, if we were to take over for their lives and say, look, how do we maximize your reputation for the rest of your lives? here's what you should do, right? We, we would say, look, do the foundation thing like you just talked about it, redirect it all toward uh, the quality of women and, and exposing the horrible things that uh, they do in Africa and the Middle East to women and, and girls. Boy, magnifique, right? And they, they couldn't get enough money in their foundation to help them and bipartisan support and they would be above the fray and, and everyone would... would literally see him as the great champion of justice that, that we think he would be. But they just don't have it in them. The, the partisan nature that they have, they, the corrupt nature that they have, doesn't allow them to advance. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like playing Monopoly, the game Monopoly, and you just constantly land on, on go to jail, go to jail, go to jail. They can't, they, they can't roll the dice in any shape or form. You have to do certain things in order to not roll that dice. But they've loaded the dice themselves. That's the funny thing. So it's constantly lands, landing on the number that they don't want to land on. Remember the, 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 the podcast we had a long time ago, which is the conversations that we are having and the conversations we should oh, be having. Oh, yes. Right? Absolutely. And I always like to, and we can't do this on uh, the podcast, but you know, imagine you know, I'm, I'm kind of waving my hand in one level. Right? And that's the conversations we are having, kind of waste level right now. And we want to be, you know, having conversations up here above my head. I'm making a circle kind of above my head at this point. And you, you can't do that unless you create a ladder from where you are to where you want to go. And for us, you know, Ari, I think the reason why we like to engage in the big highfalutin topics is because the ladder that we have is God. Right? We have a, a sense of moral clarity without patting myself on the back too much. It doesn't make me a brilliant person, but it's easy. Once you, once you understand that, 
that there is a God, that, there, that God, has, uh, God has created the universe. God creates a moral uh, universe for us, and he expects us to act good with each other and to do good. Well, then, then you, can, you get that ladder, right? You, you move up in the game of life, so to speak, where you can, in fact, enjoy the benefits of the intellectual discussion. And, and when you go past the grocery stores and you see the gossip magazines, it means nothing to you. you in fact, you turn your eyes away from it because it's, you see it, it's something that sucks you in, right? Like, the, um, like, like people who, who would like you to drown with them. That's what, that's what you see. Um, you know, and that's, that's a challenge. You, you always got to focus on that. And the Clintons, they just don't have that ability. And whether it's because they don't believe in God or something else, I'm not quite clear. But I can tell you that they will never get to that point that you talk about, Ari, which is a brilliant thing. It would be the answer for them. But they can't see it. Not them. The, the idea of, well, why don't we just turn ourselves around and, and redirect our entire focus so that we're going to be, we, we, we'll reinvent our, ourselves. It, it just not, it, they can't do it. They're stuck in the conversations down here, and they'll never get up there. That's who they are, just like my former boss, just like uh, so many criminals out there. People don't change unless they want to change, unless they have the tool to change. And part of that tool uh, is to see reality, and you can't see reality. You'll never get there. You know, what we can see, Ari, you and I, uh, we can see because we have some clarity, we have a sense of God. That's what, that's what makes it happen. And I just don't think they ever will. And that's why this whole podcast is all about reality and not being able to see it. When you can't see reality, you'd be able to protect people much better against the bad guys. You'd be able to deal diplomatically with bad nations like Iran. And you'd be able to see, as a politician like Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, that their quest to this presidency... Will, may very well be a quest to their doom. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Talk to you real soon. Ben Shapiro here with attorney Barack Lurie. One attorney to another, Barack, from our discussions, I've come away with a tremendous amount of respect for how you help your clients. In fact, I've called you with client questions. What's the one thing that you think has helped you achieve your results? Ben, if there is a thing, it's having a chess-like approach to litigation. And that means planning far in advance with perspective and timing. Too many lawyers take on cases without having a plan. And if you don't have a plan, a plan happens to you. So how do you plan? Well, we push for information early to see strengths and weaknesses. We always want to be ahead of the other side. Without that, we'll never settle. Or worse, we'll settle in the dark. Clients want resolution quickly. It's what they expect of us. Folks, if you have a business or real estate dispute, I highly recommend you call my friend Barack Lurie at 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie & Seltzer. Listen to The Barack Lurie Show, Sundays at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer.
So we're, we're dealing with Bill Clinton, and he's back in the scenes, it turns out. Now, as you know, Bill Clinton was a remarkable character from the 90s, uh, and then, of course, the, the, it was the Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton show, so to speak. It, things were always together. Now, a lot of times I would say that this is the couple that keeps on giving, right? Um, that's, that's, you could take the cynical approach to that. But in reality, they're the couple that just won't go away, right? It's like the guest that just never leaves. You know, they would do very well to simply go into, uh, you know, place, you know, have their time in history and then retire. And then they could be the great statesman that from time to time pops out his head every six months and then opines some sort of great wisdom about a political event of the day. But no, 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 no. This couple has to be in the limelight all the time. Like the house guest that just doesn't leave. And at some point you scratch your head and you say, you know, John, Jane... I, I, I think he'd really like you to leave now, right? I mean, it reminds me of that Saturday Night Live episode, the, the guest who would never leave, right? There's, there, was a, there was a little skit that they had. Um, and likewise, in The Simpsons, there was something like that, too. Of course, there's always something in The Simpsons that's identical to what we're talking about. But they, they just won't leave. And we, we really want them to leave. And they, they think that they are welcome guests. That's the interesting thing about them. They think that. But they're not. I, I don't think that any Democrat, for example, is excited about Hillary Clinton anymore. Maybe they were excited about her in the abstract about a year ago, six months ago, perhaps. But now that she's actually thrown her hat in the ring, and now, now that the cameras are on her all the more with e the email situation and now the foundation situation, I think they just are wondering, what are we doing? Do, do we really want this woman to be our leader for the Democratic nomination? I mean, kind of like, I don't know, you learn something about your spouse-to-be a week or two before the wedding, and you say, gosh, you know, he really has a temper. Can I live with that? Or, you know what, uh, I don't think we're going to be able to resolve our uh, religious differences. I don't know. Any, any of the, 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 the disputes that people have before they get married and wonder whether or not it'll actually resolve itself during the marriage, right? And it never does. As I always say, the thing that will break up your marriage or your relationship for that matter is the very thing that was a problem for you in the beginning of the relationship, right? So, for example, if, you, if, you know, if you're Jewish and, and she's Catholic and you, know, you, you want to have a Christmas tree and all that stuff and it's, it's, it's kind of a sore spot, guess what? If you do divorce, it's, it's going to be because of that, right? If, if he was womanizing uh, in the beginning of your relationship and had a couple of affairs and you, you're constantly catching him with his old girlfriends and such, guess what? That's going to be the reason why you, you break up in the end as well. It's never going to fix itself. Well, never is a strong word. Most of the time, it won't work. And, and likewise, with the, the Clintons, they, they want us to, once again, get engaged, and, which is the nomination, of course, and then to actually marry them, which is to actually elect them in the general election. That's what they want. And we're all like thinking to ourselves, you know, we've got a big conflict here. We, got it. we have an issue, and that issue is trust. I can't trust this woman. And not only that, but 
you know, the way she responds to conflict and issues that she's facing, uh, it's always with this wild-eyed look, right? And she doesn't answer the questions in a meaningful way, which in turn makes us wonder how effective she can possibly be as a president. So we have the email problem, and now we have the foundation problem. And, and I bring this up, folks, not just because I, I think it's a kind of a cute thing to talk about, although it's very interesting, or that it's a scandal, although I do think it's a scandal. I bring it up because it goes to the very core of who we are and what we are willing to believe. Uh, what's that expression, uh, you know, a liar takes two people, uh, uh, one to lie and one to believe that lie, right? That's the old joke. And, and that's what she would have us do. And that's what the Clintons as a team would have us do, that, they, that we need to believe their lie. So, okay, you have the Clinton Foundation, and we have this bizarre quid pro quo status where the bottom line is that the Clintons would exchange all sorts of deals with different countries, and lo and behold, those countries would then ask Bill Clinton to speak in their countries for the very reasonable price of approximately $500,000 a pop, and uh, he would make uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars every year. It, it's a cash cow for him. And all you have to do is exchange something uh, and, and give some sort of favored status to any particular nation. So when they're confronted with this, and because the trail is very clear, it's amazing how they let that trail become so clear, but that's another story. When they're confronted with it, they, they basically don't have a response. There, there are non-answers to this. What they do say is that it's some sort of Republican conspiracy against them. But they actually they don't actually address the accusations at all. They don't say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! The five hundred thousand dollars is because that's my going rate, and it's it's the same amount, for example, that I've charged in, um, you know, Stanford, Connecticut, you know, recently, and uh, that wasn't for any favors that I gave to the folks at Stanford, Connecticut. That's what I charge. That's the going rate that I have because people want to listen to me, and I'm very proud of that." But that's the reason why. It's not because of any favoritism. And, uh, but, but they don't say that. Yeah, and why doesn't he speak at Stanford, Connecticut for $500,000? Instead, he speaks for a couple of thousand, 10000 $20,000, but not $500,000. Who can afford that? You think Kazakhstan can afford that? Anybody in Kazakhstan can afford that? Of course not. There's a quid pro quo, and they can't deny it. And they also can't deny that there's something very funny and fishy about the deletion of 30,000 emails. We already talked about this before. It's, it's bizarre to delete any emails on a, on, a, on a volume scale like they did. You know, you might delete a couple of emails during the day, five or six of them, because you're just kind of going through your emails and deleting it, at least in my case, will allow you to go to the next email, right? So you're looking at a bunch of emails and you're, you're scanning, eyeballing it, deleting it so that you can get to the next email. That's the most you would do. But I'm, I'm not going to go back to my emails of 2005, 2006 when I was creating my email program here for my, what was then my relatively new firm. I'm not going to go back and say, oh, it's time to delete a bunch of junk mails. I'm going to spend 
what would be the equivalent, I think, of about 10 days just straight getting rid of the junk mails, deciding which ones to delete, which ones not to? Are you, uh, how do you do that? And why would you do that? And then she would have us believe that these, that she's deleting emails that relate to her mother's funeral and her, her daughter's wedding and something else. I forget what it was. There's a third area. Yoga classes. Yoga classes. Thank you. Why? Why would you do that, first of all? Right? It, 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 that doesn't make any sense at all. You would delete maybe the 1-800-Flowers emails, like I said in my Sunday show. But, but you'd keep the ones about the wedding. Yeah. And you'd well, keep the, the last message you got from your mother right. before she died. Yeah. But a lot of people do that. Nothing of it makes sense. Nothing. So she doesn't explain that. And more likely than not, it, it's clear that something very odd is going on. Okay, so we, we, and we already talked at length about that. Uh, but I'm just interested to, to see the psychology at play of the Clintons thinking that they can fool us. Now, th- there's a lot of media buzz about how, well, in today's day and age, it's a lot different than it was in the early 90s. That's true. Uh, back in the early 90s, you wouldn't, uh, you know, there's only so many outlets, the, the Wall Street Journal, LA Times, New York Times, and so on. And, the, and then the nightly news at the end of the day and the CNN. Uh, but that didn't mean that they wouldn't pick it up. They, they would have picked it up if, if this story happened again. Every one of the Clinton scandals from that era was picked up by mainstream Very media. quickly. Very it was quickly. just strongly denied by the Clintons. And then the day-in, day-out media gave them biased, in slight ways, favorable report, reporting that just nudged the story into their favor. Right. But the big mistake that people make is that they got away with all those scandals. They actually didn't. He wound up impeached eventually. Yeah, but that was only one scandal, as you can say. And then, and that he, 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 he did get impeached, but he was still president, and, and he was still beloved uh, up through the election of uh, 2000. So, and, and not only that, but that, that Gore-Loss election, had he only just unleashed, they used that word, unleashed Clinton, then he would have picked up so many more votes and certainly would have won the 2000 election. And maybe they're right, because it was a close election, of course. So uh, he was uh, somebody who did get away with a lot Could of I stuff. Can I jump in there for one quick Of second? course. I think that's one of the biggest lies ever told in the Democrat Party. I had that a, if, he, a, that a, if, uh, if they unleashed right. Clinton? Okay, I had a I like close to hear this. friend who voted for Nader. And after Gore lost, now this was in California, Gore won California, so it did not affect Florida at all. But when he found out Gore was even had a chance of winning, he didn't want Bush, and he knew Nader was a throwaway vote as someone who was liberal like him, but he was completely turned off by the Clinton legacy. Completely. So many were. That's why Nader drew enough votes away from Gore for Bush to win in enough states. Right. So the huge lie is that Clinton was popular those last two years of his presidency. Okay. He was a disaster. The the Republicans could have very easily removed him from office. They actually decided not to for a number of practical reasons that I actually disagreed with, but the bottom line is they decided not to ruin him from office. But it didn't matter. The guy was impeached. He was only the second president in the history of the country to be impeached, which is huge. It's hard to get impeached. I'm sorry, folks, uh, to have this uh, rabid conflict that you're now hearing between the two of us. I, I apologize. Barack, you don't want to be on that <laughs> side of it, the issue for me. I know, I know. Okay, so, so look, the the, the, the 
I, I can tell you back then, uh, as you know, I was a liberal, and I wanted nothing more than to have Bill Clinton run for a third term. That would have been very exciting to me. And, uh, and I think I speak for a lot of people back at the time. Now, now of course, I, I, in hindsight, of course, I'm so glad that uh, Gore lost and such. But I voted for Gore in 2000. I'm, I'm enormously embarrassed about that. I feel ashamed about that. But nevertheless, I did. And having spoken, uh, sorry, voted for somebody like him and, and been on the Clinton team and such, I actually thought that Clinton had, at that time had done such great work. I now realize he was, had not done anything. Right? It's, it's like Evita, right? How we, <laughs> yeah, everyone thought she had done so much stuff, but all she was doing was just moving the vegetables around the plate, as they say, right? <laughs> never, never actually doing anything with the, the, the dish. So uh, Clinton, Clinton, Clinton. These, do you these... see how the pleasant memory of flavor that you have in your mouth from those days of Clinton has not been totally turned into putridness yet? Oh, you, he's, you know? a, he's a disgusting man. Uh, Hillary Clinton is equally disgusting, if not more so. I mean, at least Bill Clinton, I, you know, you can't deny that he's a Rhodes Scholar. You know, he's, he's brilliant. What he's done with his brilliance is, is evil, is wrong, but he was smart enough to play ball with the Republicans when necessary and then take credit for it. Got it. I understand. Uh, that's, that's politics to the extreme, right? But uh, Hillary Clinton, oh, gosh, I just... Forget about whether or not she's a Democrat or Republican. I just don't want her in the in the White House, if only because I just can't stand her voice. Uh, she's just, I don't need that wild-eyed look. I don't need her to be any more shrill than she is. And four years of this, and God forbid, eight years of that, no thank you. I, look, I'm convinced that she's not going to win the presidency. Now, whether that's because she loses at the primary level or because she loses in the general election, I'm not. I don't know. Or doesn't run at all. We don't know. Doesn't run at all. But somehow, uh, I, I I do not predict, do not predict, uh, that she will uh, be the president in 2016 or at any time thereafter. Yeah, and and part of it, her response to all this is, is we know about their past. And remember, with the impeachment, it wasn't one scandal, it was like three. Remember, it was an investigation of Whitewater that turned into Monica and Blue Dress yes, I understand. DNA gate. Okay, and he yeah, got but that impeached was... for the lying within right. the Whitewater scandal when it got into the, the women. My, my, I bring it up because the thing that infuriates me most about the Clintons is when they're finally confronted with the latest scandal du jour, whatever it is, and currently we're dealing with four of them, uh, Benghazi, the server, the contributions, and Clinton's association with Jeffrey Epstein. Those are all current. Right. But when confronted with any one of those f four current scandals, mm -hmm. the Clintons just roll their eyes right. and pretend this is just out of the blue without any regard for what most of us with a brain or an IQ above room temperature know is a pattern of behavior going back 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're coming at you with a scandal, the media, to Mrs. Clinton, and you act like you've never been confronted with a scandal before. You have no sensitivity that possibly people have any doubt about your word? No, it's, it's really amazing. It's like, uh, you know, people basically learn from experience, right? <laughs> they, I, I don't know. I, I can tell you uh, when I, you know, when I go to a new mountain biking trailhead, right, I know the routine. You park the car, pull out the bike, 
you know, you, you lube up the bike chain, you make sure that the gears are responsive enough, make sure your tires are inflated. And I've got it down to a science now, right? Where I, it takes, that whole process maybe takes me about five minutes and zoom, off I go. And then of course I pace myself appropriately and so on, right? Okay. <laughs> the Clintons, they're constantly like, to, to make the equivalent, it's as if they, they think, wow, what is this thing called a bike? <laughs> How, what am I supposed to do? Ask me, you know, what's tell me again. What's a parking space? What's Who's a parking space? these? That's right. What, what's loop for? What, what, what's a gear? Tell me more. I, I, and how should I ride this bike? It, they're all so confused, don't you know? Um, these, but you would think they would be pros at handling the scandals. Pros. But instead what they do is they say, and I'm talking about Hillary Clinton in particular, she talks about a vast right-wing conspiracy. Yes, I know that that was a, an unfortunate combination of words that she once used, but she used them, and she planned it all, all out, and he said it. And it's been a joke ever since, right, the vast right-wing conspiracy. By the way, I want to get the teacher that said part of the member of the vast right-wing conspiracy. I'd love to see that. And, but, but now she's saying it again. She's not using that phrase. She said it's, it's part of a big plan by the Republicans who want to do anything they can to destroy me, right? Same thing, right? But, but you would think that they would learn from their mistakes. He, to use my bike analogy, like, you know how, how long it's going to take you to lube it up. So bring the, you know, in fact, just keep a, a, a can of lube in your car, okay? You'll be ready to rock and roll. And keep it close to the bike so you can have easy access. You get the idea, right? And, uh, and likewise, have the bike pump and everything else. When, when a scandal arises, Mrs. Clinton, please, perhaps have some answers, right? At the very least, know what to say. Understand that you're going to have to deal with the questions, and there are going to be questions. She, asks, she acts surprised that there are questions at all. It's so shocking to her. That, that, that's the amazing thing questions. about this. What are you people in the media doing asking questions? Yeah. Who asks questions of someone running for president? Right. Who would ever do that? Right. And, and then their excuses and obfuscations as to why they're innocent as turtle doves are laughable. For instance, in the latest quote, and Bill gave this to NBC News. NBC News, which is traditionally the most biased to the left of any of them, is doing a yeoman's job following the scandal. They ask Clinton, uh, what's going on with these donations? And he actually tells them, as if that this makes him and his wife look good and competent, well, you know, it's an accountant. We hired an accountant who didn't fill out some forms and, you know, he made some mistakes. Wait a minute. Your wife is running for president, which is a job in which the first job that you happen to take on after you're sworn in is appointing hundreds, if not thousands of people to thousands of positions within the government. And your general job is to say to the people and follow through with, I'm going to put the best person who can do the job in the best way into the right slot. Yes. And you're telling me <clears throat> you right. couldn't hire an accountant at your foundation to fill out paperwork? Well, the reason why he says that is to, to allow his base to have an argument, right? To say, look, uh, <clears throat> he's basically telling the, the base what to say. And the base will then say, look, you know, so they had a sloppy accountant. It's a big deal. You're trying to make it more than it is. Mr. Lurie, Mr. David, um, and, and then you know, never mind that they had to you know refile their tax returns for the past years, five years. Uh, who among us didn't have to do that? Without oh, wait a minute, that's right. Interest? <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> so who among us didn't have to do that? Oh, that's right. No one among us <laughs> had to do that. Who's not in jail? <laughs> that's right. I mean, it's crazy. It's, like, it's such an unusual thing. And a foundation, no less, a 501c3, they really have to keep themselves buttoned. How did Lewis learn and get that, let that 501c3 oh, slip yeah, through? that's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Isn't Lois Lerner on the case? <laughs> she'll, she'll get right on it, sir. Anyway, you get the idea. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it, it's actually, um, in some sense, terrifying because, I want to say, use the word terrifying, because the fact that somebody this brazenly scandalous and, and I think incompetent, but nevertheless scandalous, can get through and that it could be understood that, you know, this is just a, a hiccup, a, you know, a cramp uh, along the way. Well, then, you know, it, th- th- this, this, this should destroy a person's candidacy instantly. It should anyone, anyone, you know, what the, the scandal that destroyed uh, Anthony Weiner and Elliot Spitzer, right? They were, they were sex uh, related stuff. So, you know, he, he sends out a text and eventually has to resign. And um, Spitzer, of course, uh, joins the was or, client number nine with a yeah, certain professional in the very prostitution ring that he was supposedly fighting against so hard. Okay, so you know that that those are obvious um, career destroyers. Boom, good. They got destroyed. They're out. And they're humiliated. Forget, they're, yeah, they're don't hu- forget Gary Hart. Yes, Gary Hart. He's right. a perfect analogy into Clinton. Yes. So these, are, but those are all sex-related things. Now, one thing, at least Hillary Clinton doesn't have to worry about, I guess, or maybe maybe she does. Who knows what's what's in her history? But I won't even go there. This is not sex-related. Obviously, this is quid pro quo stuff. It seems like monetary scandals are not as scandalous. It's just just not. A lot of the the scandals that they have to deal with, or for that matter, scandals that that people have gotten away with. You know, when it involves money, it doesn't seem to be as big a deal. I suppose it has to be something so big, like the Bernie uh, uh, Madoff, Madoff uh, uh, you know, Ponzi scheme, which is so brazen um, that you know he gets, he does get arrested, and and he, but he wasn't a political figure. But look, this this country, uh, the United Nations, was involved in the biggest scandal in in the history of the world, which was the oil for food program, right? Which, as it turns out, had nothing to do with sex. It had to do with uh, a, a money scandal dealing with oil for food and that, that Saddam Hussein uh, exploited and which uh, in, in involving a very willing participants known as Russia and Germany and China and, and other countries for that matter. But no one talks about it. It's, like, it's just a, a phenomenal thing. Instead, what they say is that Saddam Hussein... Uh, that they had no weapons of mass destruction, and the United Nations knew about this, and it was terrible, and you know, and I always say, oh, you mean the same United Nations that that insisted that there was no weapons of mass destruction because th- th- who participated in the scandal, that the greatest scandal in history, there's there was no quid pro quo associated with that. Uh, anyway, I, I, I digress about that. The point is that there, this this is a monetary scandal that people may not care about. And they should care about, it, of course. But what's going to be interesting is to to really see how this unravels. It'll just keep on tripping them up. And I'm glad that NBC is pursuing it. I'm glad that the liberal media is pursuing. I respect them. The but New York Times watching the New York post. Times. Yeah. yeah, the New York Times broke this, the story itself. These are the kind of news outlets that those of us on the right always meet resistance with 
when stories aren't carried on these outlets by those on the left we try to convince about the seriousness of XYZ in the news. Yeah. This time, our opponents on the left do not have that leg to stand on. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. Um, let's say you're the Hillary Clinton campaign. Now, aside from your recommendation to her that she resign from the campaign and just step out of this altogether, let's say you, you know, you're, you're an ardent supporter of her and you want her to win this election, right? Uh, what, what are her choices? What would you do as her campaign manager? You are to David, save her candidacy. to save her candidacy and, and, and do this. I would give her basically the same advice <clears throat> I was telling people in 1996, 97, and 98 that Bill Clinton should have done to save his presidency. Bill Clinton, had he come out right away and said, I did have this inappropriate thing with Monica Lewinsky. I'm very sorry I lied to you, the American people, all these years. Please forgive me. My marriage is a complicated thing. Hillary and I have a situation we're going to try to work out. We're very sorry. I hope this doesn't affect how you view my ability to handle the country, but I'm throwing myself at your mercy, and I respect you enough to tell you the truth. I thought if Bill Clinton had done that, he would have gone down history as one of the great political statesman as possible, both using that charm personality and finally being honest with us. But he's incapable of it. You're, saying, you're saying he should have done this before the blue dress basically forced or him. Or even after, just at any <clears throat> point during that whole thing, just be honest with us. Right. Stop wrecking the country with this, this cultural bear trap you're putting us in, where... Uh, all these people are defending the indefensible because they love... You know, it would have been a very healing moment, and Bill Clinton's personality and charm would have carried him through this, and I think a country would have forgiven him because it's the 1990s. We can deal with a little sex here. We're not a country of right. the prudes that he expects us to be. Likewise, if Hillary Clinton today just would speak uh, forcefully and declaratively to media, both friend and phone media, especially to the blogosphere now that uh, that sprung up, especially at the time of the great Clinton scandals of the 1990s, like the Drudge Report and the Breitbart people, etc., and just would throw herself on the cross and say, look, I really want to be present. I know my integrity is at, is at question. I know we have a past that encompasses these these questions. But moving forward, I want you to know I'm a different person, I'm a better person, and I respect you enough to be honest with you. Yeah. She would skyrocket in the polls. Just be honest with us. <laughs> well, And I'm very sorry about what I said at the Benghazi hearing. I'm going to fully comply with that agency's that, uh, hearing request, and I'm going to tell you the truth about that. I'm sorry about that. Just start. Yeah. By being honest. But like you say, liars always lie. Because to the Clintons, and this is the most damning thing about them, I believe they get a rush from lying. They're pathological they, is what you're saying. But not only pathological, but they get it, – it, it affects their dopamine pleasure centers of the brain, both the telling of the lie and seeing yeah. if they can get away with it. It's interesting how you phrase it, Ari. Uh, and I, I'm not saying you're wrong. On the contrary, I think you're right. Everyone that I've spoken to on this, and I've asked this question to a, a lot of – our fellow conservative friends, uh, because liberals will, will, you know, they they'll won't just say, defend her they, blindly. Yeah, they'll defend her blindly to say that that's that's your problem and there's nothing to rectify here. Um, so there's, you know, stay the course, Hillary, stay, and and we want her to stay the stay, Hillary to stay the course because we think it's it's a course that uh, of a campaign that's going over a cliff. So fine, go ahead and and do it do it that way, but Hillary Clinton. 
When I ask people what they would do, they all more or less say kind of what you say, which is, you know, just come clean and just say, gosh, you know what? Uh, there are there were some destruction of emails. Uh, nothing was intentional, but we shouldn't have done it. And if you want to, you by all means have the server, and uh, I'll let the uh, the investigator say. I do think there were some emails that may have been mistakenly deleted. Uh, they may involve certain um, uh, things to deal with uh, with with Kazakhstan and Russia, for example, and other things that are uh, may look uh, inappropriate. But they are appropriate. Uh, but you know what? I can see how that doesn't look right. You have at it if you like, and we're here to ask any questions. Uh, as far as Benghazi is concerned, uh, you know, the mistakes were made. Uh, it was sloppy. And we should have, uh, you know, although I was not personally responsible for anything, I was Secretary of State at the time, and I, I assume responsibility for that kind of thing. And uh, I, I just want to come clean with all these things. And that's, that's the, you know, the, the coming clean theme seems to be the answer for everyone among the conservative party uh, for, for their campaign. And I think they're right. The, it's not the, it's, I was about to say the problem is, but it's, it's, it's emblematic. It reflects that her campaign is in a quagmire. Because if you're only out is to come clean, then you're you're in a position of, of, of defensiveness, right? Well, I think there's also one very important point that must be made here. If she were to come clean, especially if Clinton came clean during that era of time in the 90s and felt and perceived the full forgiveness of especially conservatives, his entire uh, both raison d'etre and the entire narrative he had built in his entire career about the Republican Party, the truth of it, the, the, the lie that he had constructed about the Republican Party and conservatives would have crumbled because they would have been seen honestly as the tolerant people, not the intolerant people. He yes, yeah, I, I, I agree, I agree. So they can't do yeah. that yeah. because their narrative crumbles. Well, but, okay, but and I agree with you. The defensiveness, though, that's the problem is that... that when we know that the only answer for her is in some way apologizing and apologizing some more and then apologizing yet again. <laughs> and not lying anymore. And not lying anymore. About other stuff Yeah, and just staying the straight and narrow. Gosh, you know, th that would be the answer. But then she still has to, at some point, provide a, a meaningful platform. Right now she's stuck. She's, she's in a quagmire where... She, she's, of course, not going to apologize. She's not going to go through the narrative that you and I both suggest. Uh, she instead um, is just trying to avoid it, hoping that it'll go away. She's, she's got this, somebody's whispering in her ear that this news cycle will, of course, dissipate everything and that there is an end to this news cycle. And, and somebody needs to actually be at her other ear and say, no, ma'am, this is going to continue on and on until you do something about it. It will not go away. And the reason you're absolutely right is because they were—they assured us that that news cycle excuse would be the end-all, be-all last word with Jennifer Flowers in 1992 during the campaign. And after Jennifer Flowers, it was Travelgate. Then it was Paula Jones in 1994. Then it was Whitewater in 1996. And the Rose Law Firm and Vince Foster and Ron Brown. And on and on and on, all the way to Lewinsky. The point is, That's right. they bounced from crisis to crisis, news cycle to news cycle, obfuscating, covering up scandal after scandal after scandal because they are scummy people who know no other way but to live scummily. 
All right, so uh, we, we understand that they must, must change their strategy. They, they must address it. That strategy, in one way or the other, involves addressing the email prob problem and the foundation problem, and for that matter, perhaps even Benghazi, because it'll stick. And uh, problems don't go away like that, okay? It's, it, it is the cancer that you must address, and it's going to be very uncomfortable. It, it, like chemotherapy is painful and sickening. Uh, anybody who's gone through that knows that very well. You know, thank God I have not, but we certainly know people who have. And it's, it's, you've got to go through it. And it's going to be very hard, but she won't do it. It's not worth it to her. And that's where her, that's where her end lies in this campaign. And that's why both of us think that she will never be president and that she may very well have to step aside sometime in the middle of this campaign. And you may think, my dear liberal friend, that somehow that'd be a shame if she did, but I'm telling you, <laughs> you'll be so much better off with anybody but her. And that anybody should be a Republican this time. My friends, this is Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk with you real soon.